you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, sometimes we, we, we sing about the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost and thanking the Holy Ghost and all that, but I just wonder for how many of us, uh, this whole Christianity thing is kind of this, <clears throat> kind of this rote thing, this, you know, we do the Christmas thing, we do the Easter thing, we do the Thanksgiving thing, we do the church thing, we do the thing thing, you know, but it's really not all that powerful. It's kind of a system of beliefs, system of theologies. Seems to make the most sense, so we buy into it. But it's really not something that impacts our life in such a way that we know that we have a visceral, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that we would die for. Now, can you imagine Jesus Christ just coming and wrapping his arms around you and hugging you and just saying, I love you so very much? Some of you can imagine that. Others of you cannot. But God, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, can heal that in you. He really can. Christianity is about Jesus Christ and a vibrant relationship with him. One of these days I'll get that fluck over there and now we're good to go. What are your opportunities in 2015 that you're looking at? What are the things that as you look towards the new year and next year that you're saying, wow, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stoked about this. I'm just, uh, I'm amped, ramped, and ready about this, right? What are the things in 2015 that seem to be opportunities that you're looking at? You know, life is full of opportunities both to serve God and to sin. And the Bible is replete with examples of both. For example, opportunities to serve. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams ends up becoming number two in the whole Egyptian kingdom and one could argue single-handedly saves the entire Middle East from starvation, right? You look at Rahab who concealed the spies and ends up saving herself and her household. She took advantage of the opportunity to save her household by concealing the spies. You have Matthew a tax collector, and a Jew, which meant that he would have been an outcast within Jewish society. Not even saying anything when Christ says, come follow me, he just gets up and starts to follow. Why? I think because Jesus was the first person who ever loved Matthew. And we always respond to love, every one of us. Somebody comes up and says, I love you, I care for you. You're gonna respond to that. You're gonna respond to that. But there's also opportunities to sin in the Bible. You recall when Satan took Christ to the pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. I think that was a legitimate offer on Satan's part. And yet Christ chose not to sin by worshiping Satan and instead chose the much more uh, difficult path the path of the cross, in order to bring us into a relationship with him. 
you'll recall that, that Saul goes into the cave. King Saul goes into the cave. And David's already in there with his men. And his men said, hey, David, God has given Saul into your hand. Go kill him. And David refuses to sin by saying, I am not going to take my hand up against God's anointed. Remember that. Job has everything taken away from him, and his wife encourages him to curse God. The reason, the reason his wife wasn't taken from him is because Satan knew that she would succumb and that he could use her to help get Job to curse God. And she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, I, this is the Bill English paraphrase, I can't do that. That's not how it says in the Hebrew, but that's my paraphrase of it. And so he blesses God instead of cursing God. In every opportunity that you're going to face in 2015, there's going to be opportunities to serve God and there's going to be opportunities to sin. There's going to be elements within that when you can serve God and there's going to be elements within it in which you can sin. And you'll have this constant choice in front of you. Every day we live, we have the opportunity to be salt and light for the kingdom of God, do we not? Salt is a preservative, helps stop the decay of society. The light points people to Jesus Christ, right? That's what we do as Christians. We're salt and we're light. And we have the opportunity every day to be salt and light before Jesus Christ and before the world. Now, when I talk about opportunity, what do I actually mean here? What I mean is this. Here's a working definition of it. An opportunity is a window of time and favorable conditions during which actions of significance can lead to important and needed results. Okay? That's how we're going to look at an opportunity today. It's a window of time and favorable conditions during which actions of significance can lead to important and needed results. Now, I looked through a number of uh, biblical illustrations of where people took advantage of opportunities to serve God, and I found that there were five common threads, common characteristics that people uh, experienced or that they took advantage of within those opportunities. And I'll just say it now, if you have all five, chances are very good that this is God's call on your life. Okay, we're going to go over what those five are here in just a moment, okay? But just bear with me. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, Paul writes, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And James, James says, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. When you have opportunities to do good and you don't do it, to you it is sin. Right? Now, there might be a few here who are already thinking, oh boy, here we go. Throat's a bit raspy today. You'll be thinking, if you only knew my past, Bill, you would know that God isn't going to send any significant opportunities my way. I've kind of been put on the shelf. And maybe 5, 10, 15 years from now, something will happen, but not right now, not right now. 
There's no opportunities for me right now, and they're not going to come. My past is too checkered. Just let me remind you of Romans 11:29, where Paul writes this, God's call and his gifts on your life are irrevocable. Once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in, 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 imputes to you spiritual gifts, those gifts are irrevocable. There is no sin that you can commit that would take away those gifts. And God's call on your life is also irrevocable. Okay? So don't check out on me uh, if, just because you might have a checkered past. So what opportunities are coming your way? What does the Bible have to say about opportunity? Let's take a look at those five common threads, and we'll begin to understand how to view opportunities and how to recognize when they're coming. Here's the first one. The first uh, common thread among all of these uh, illustrations, and by the way, we're going to use David and Goliath today as our illustration, but there are literally dozens of examples in the scriptures that we could have used. I just chose David and Goliath because it's a familiar story, and I don't have to explain the whole story while going through this, okay? So David and Goliath, what was the first one? Discerning foresight. Here we go. 1 Samuel 17, go to verse 26, if you would, please. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Okay? Now David has come from his father, Jesse, and he is... Uh, bringing supplies for his brothers who are in the army, okay? And he comes from his father, and he sees Goliath coming out and defying uh, God, defying the army of God, the Israelis, and he says, okay, uh, this isn't acceptable. And so he asks in, 20, um, in verse tw- 26, he asks the man standing him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, here's what Saul offered. Great wealth, his daughter, and no more taxes. Okay? So you get access, and you get money, and you get prestige, and you get position. Just go out, kill the nine-foot giant, and here you go. That's the deal. Okay? Not a bad deal, actually, when you stop to think about it. Okay? Because now you have access to the king all the time, part of the royal family by extension, because you get his daughter in marriage. Okay? That's how alliances, by the way, in the Old Testament were built. If one nation wanted to have an alliance with another nation, they would take the daughter from one nation and send her to marry the king in the other nation. And that way there was an alliance there. That was how they did it. Sorry, women. You guys were alliance builders. Okay, we only have 35 minutes together. So you better like my humor now. Or it's, or it's going to feel like three hours. My wife always says, it feels like three hours, Bill. All right. David sees the problem, understands the rewards, but I think David's main motivation here is not about the money or the daughter. I think his main motivation is about him being offended that Goliath is defying God. I really think that, def- that just personally is repulsive and offensive to David. 
And so he says, I'm going to go out and take care of this matter. I wonder who defends God in our society today. And you might say, well, God doesn't need to be defended. Really? Now, within each of these five threads, each of these five commonalities, I'm going to talk about a derailer. A derailer is something that would get the train off the tracks. It would be something, the train's going down the tracks, and it's off the tracks. It's something that gets the train off the tracks. And you know that when a train gets off the track, it doesn't run real far. It tends to stop, even though you got the engines going full bore. So what would be the derailer here for discerning foresight? What would be the derailer? Well, the derailer here is simply not looking for the opportunity. You're not paying attention. You know, in John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus said, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Why? Because they are ripe for harvest. In another translation, it says, look up. Look up. Don't sit here and look down. You know, you guys all have your phones. You know, you're looking around. You're, you're... your sphere of awareness is about two feet, right? Got the phone, got them doing this, doing that. Look up, look up. See the opportunity because the fields are already ripe. You say, well, in four more months, they're going to be ripe. Jesus says, they're already ripe. The opportunities are already out there. You just got to look up and see them. Pay attention. If you want foresight, and it will take foresight and discernment into seeing what the opportunity is, you're not going to do it looking down like this. You're going to have to look up and look out and see what's going on. What's God doing today? It's a great way to ask that question. You can be salt and light right now wherever you're at. Most of us in this room do not work within the church full-time, and we're not missionaries full-time, and we do not work in parachurch organizations like YWAM or Campus Crusade or InterVarsity or anything like that full-time. We actually go and we do other jobs, right? That's what we do. Okay? You can be salt and light right now. Did you know that? There are opportunities for you at your workplace right now that God wants to take advantage of and he wants to use you in. You know, there are so many opportunities for Christians to be salt and light in this, in this uh, society. It's just amazing. We need people in the sciences. We need strong Christians in the sciences, not just the medical sciences, but in physics, in chemistry, in astronomy, and in geology. We have, one of the, we have a, a fantastic scientist in this church in the area of, I can't even pronounce it, it's something about airplanes and flying airplanes and aerodynamics and all that. She's one of the best at it. And she integrates her, what she knows from science with the Bible to produce compelling teaching around how we can, around how we can know what God really has said in the scriptures and how he wants us to live before him. We need people to go into the legal profession. Young people, if you're interested in law, 
go for it. Why? Because so much of our cultural battles today are being fought in the court systems. We need Christians to get into the legal profession and clean it up. We need Christians who are preparing cases, Christians who are arguing cases, Christians who are sitting as judges within the legal profession. We need those people. There are tons of opportunities to be salt and light within the legal profession today, and we need you there. We need people in public policy, Christians in both parties are needed. We need Democrats and we need Republicans. We need independents. Not sure about the Green Party. Okay, that was a joke. All right, come on, you guys. We're down to under 14 minutes now. You're just, I'm going to lose you here. Seriously, though, we need Christians in public policy, helping to make public policy. Again, so much of our cultural battles and our, and our what are being fought is being fought in the public square. We need people running for office, all the way from dog catcher to president. We need people in both parties, Christians in both parties, working on public policy. We need business leaders. We need people both in public, publicly held corporations, privately held corporations, we need people in the nonprofits. We need Christians in all of these areas. And we especially, I'm, I'm not kidding here, we especially need Christians in media and journalism. There are all kinds of opportunities there, whether it's print, radio, TV, online. We need Christians going into that. Young people, don't ever let anybody tell you that if you're a pastor or a missionary, you're up here, but everything else is secondary. No, 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 no. Don't you buy that, not for one second. God will call you as he has gifted you and passioned you into various areas of vocation. And we need Christians in all of them to be salt and light. There is so much opportunity here. So much opportunity. David saw the opportunity and within him developed a strong sense of urgency. Go to verse 32, if you would, please. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now there's urgency there. And do you know how I know that? Because David didn't even think about waiting an hour or a day or a week. He didn't think about drawing up plan B. He didn't think about getting a search and rescue team to follow him behind him in case he gets injured and, you know, he's got to get pulled out somehow. He says, now I'm here, let's go. He already developed the plan in his head, right? Now the derailer here for urgency is what? Apathy. The derailer for urgency is apathy. And apathy is really a state of indifference or the suppression of emotions such as concern, excitement, motivation, or passion. I just don't care. You know, I have, I have a phrase, Kathy's heard me say this a number of times. My kids have heard me say this too, bless their souls. I have a phrase that says, you know, in 30 years, I'll be dead, so it won't matter. Right? And there's a lot of truth to that. I'm almost 54, right? So 84, right? You know, kind of run my four score and seven there, whatever it is. And so it won't matter. That's a way of expressing some apathy, is it not? 
But apathy at its, at its height is, um, I, personally, what I think actually what that is is a way of saying, I'm going to focus on that which really matters. I'm not going to focus on the stuff that doesn't really matter all that much. Okay? But uh, Dilbert, Wally and Dilbert uh, seem to have a good handle on apathy. Wally, I need you to work with a greater sense of urgency. Well, the Bible says good things come to those who wait. So basically, it's you against God. Let me know when you two get it sorted out. Really? There was thunder when he doubted you? I synchronize my excuses to weather forecasts. <laughs> now, Wally is an extreme example of someone who's always apathetic. Okay? But what I don't want you to think is that if you don't feel a sense of urgency, even though you see the opportunity, that there's something wrong with that. Okay? Because the need is not always the call. You might see the opportunity, and you might not have a sense of urgency. You might still care about it. You might still be interested in it, which would not be apathetic. But you just may not have a sense of urgency. And if that's the case, that's fine. That just means that that's not God's call on your life. And when God calls you to something, he's going to give you a passion and an urgency for it, as well as discerning foresight into the opportunity. But you know what? He's going to have three other things with it. And the third one is you're going to be prepared. He will have already prepared you if you don't short-circuit this process. Look at uh, verses 33 and following. Saul says, You are not able to go out uh, against this Philistine and fight him, David. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. And then David goes on to recount how he's killed the lion and the bear protecting his sheep. Okay? He's killed the lion and the bear protecting his sheep. So a nine-foot giant isn't going to be a big deal for him. Which would you rather try to kill, a guy who's nine feet or a lion? I'll tell you which one I pick. I pick the giant, right? You guys remember Princess Bride, the giant? Saw somebody nudge over here. Princess Bride, what's Princess Bride? Anyways, David killed the lions and the bears, so Goliath was no problem for him. He was prepared. By God, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God is preparing in advance for us to do. See? David was prepared. What you do today prepares you for what God's going to want you to do in the future, as well as fulfilling what God wants you to do today. That's the thrust of Ephesians 2.10. David was prepared. What's the derailer here? Well, we pack it in. We coast. We decide we're not going to keep growing. We're not going to keep moving forward. We're not going to grow personally. We're not going to grow professionally. We're not going to grow spiritually. We just kind of sit back and coast. Is that not the essence of the entire concept of retirement in America today? I'm done. And is that not antithetical to what God calls us to? My answer is yes to that question. God never calls us to coast. 
He always calls us to grow. Even if you're 89, 99, 109, even if you're 13, 14, 15, 16, he's always calling you to grow. Now, if you're 54, that's the middle age years. Don't worry about it. Okay. And some may underestimate you in your preparation. Don't worry about that. David was underestimated too. Okay. It's a good thing that our military doesn't buy into this concept of coasting and packing it in, is it not? I did some work back in the mid-2000s at SOCOM, Special Operations Command, down at Fort McDill in Tampa. Actually, they have a base inside of Fort McDill. So you get on McDill, and then you have to get on their base. And uh, that's a place where um, the colonels are the ones who grind the coffee and make the coffee for all the generals. Uh, I'd never seen that many stars in my life, even after I got hit that one time in high school. So, okay, that was funny too, you guys. All right. So look, look, uh, we're down there. And um, SOCOM is over all the other comms. So you got CENTCOM, EURCOM, NORCOM, AGECOM, PACCOM, SOUTHCOM, Joint Special Operations, JSOC. This is the command over all those commands. And I got to work there for a little bit. And I learned four things that they believe in. Do you know what those four things are? Here they are. Four truths that they build all the special operations around. Everything in special operations supports one or more of these four truths. Number one, humans are more important than hardware. You know, in the church, guess what? Humans are more important than programming. Okay, number two, quality is better than quantity. Number three, special operation forces cannot be mass-produced. And number four, special operation forces cannot be created after emergencies occur. They cannot be created after emergencies occur. They have to be created beforehand, and they cannot be mass-produced. Every one of them is individually produced. They're prepared. Can you imagine if, uh, if the SEAL teams suddenly decided to take three months off and just not train? And then an emergency occurs, how effective do you think they would be? Not very, because they would lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? And a lot of the skills that they learn are diminishing skills. So that if you don't use it, you lose it. It's a lot like that in the church. You might have been a prayer warrior at one time, but if you've given it up, you have to go back and do it again. Okay? Get prepared. Number four. The opportunity that God calls you to is going to have so much risk involved that you will be asked and forced to become dependent upon God. Now, for some of you who are risk-averse, you're not going to like this part, all right? But every opportunity that God calls you to cannot be done within your own power. It's going to have to be done within the power of God. Any opportunity which God calls you to will involve substantial risk. No, no, no ministry of any worth is entered into without risk, sometimes substantial risk, okay? David stayed true to himself. He didn't accept the armor that, God, that Saul wanted to put on him. And when he went out to fight the Philistine, he showed his dependence on God. Look at this. At the end of verse 40. 
He put five smooth stones in a bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, I, I just always chuckle at that, uh, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, and he despised him. And he said, come here, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David is predicting the future. He is prophesying. He is giving glory to God, and he is depending on God to do this, because if God doesn't do it, David is going to be a dead man, as well as having egg on his legacy. You know, there's another part of the scripture that talks about if we lose our life, we'll save it. If we try to save our lives, we'll lose it. Do you, do you remember that? Okay. Remember that? It's impossible to save yourself from the danger of the risk and move out for God at the same time. Literally impossible. You, it's one or the other. And it really becomes a question of who you're living for. It really becomes a question, am I living for myself or am I living for God? Which one am I living for here? You know, uh, Katy Perry grew up in a Christian home and started out singing gospel, but then quickly abandoned that to go after the type of music that she now sings, almost none of which I would recommend to our young people. It's so explicit. And so, um, to use a California term, gnarly, uh, that uh, I wouldn't recommend that our young people listen to it, right? But she does ask this question about who she's living for. I can feel a phoenix inside of me as I march alone to a different beat, slowly swallowing down my fear. I am ready for the load less traveled, suiting up for my crowning battle, This test is my own cross to bear, but I will get there. I can feel this light that's inside of me growing fast to a bolt of lightning. I know one spark will shock the world. So I pray for favor like Esther. I need your strength to handle the pressure. I know there will be sacrifice, but that's the price. It's never easy to be chosen, never easy to be called, standing on the front line when the bombs start to fall. I can see the heavens, but I still hear the flames calling out my name. I can see the writing on the wall. I can't ignore this war. At the end of it all, who am I living for? At the end of it all, who am I living for? I think Katy Perry asks a haunting question of herself, and the Holy Spirit asks the same question of us this morning. Who are we living for? You can have the foresight. You can have a sense of urgency. Okay? You can be prepared. You can assume the risk and depend on God, but at some point you have to act. Look at verse 48 in chapter 17. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly 
toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. He fell face down on the ground. He took swift and decisive action. And I think your derailer here for action is just sheer laziness. You just don't want to do the work. You just don't want to put in the effort or the time to do the work. And how many of us face that choice almost on a daily basis? Doing the work of God will not be easy. He hasn't called us to an easy life. But if God is calling you to do a work, then it is a work worth doing, is it not? I think despair.com handles this in a humorous way pretty well on their procrastination poster. Hard work often pays off over time, but laziness always pays off now. (laughs) Right? Let us not be characterized by lazy people who are living for the here and the moment. Let's be characterized by people who see the opportunity and who are willing to invest ourselves in that work to make it God's work and our work combined. Okay? What opportunity is God calling you to in 2015? What significance is your life going to play in the church and in the kingdom next year? Perhaps he's calling you to start a new business. Give me a call if he does. There's other people here. There are lots of people in this church who want to see good businesses get started and get thriving. Start a prayer group at your place of employment. Did you know that the mid and upper level managers at General Mills have several prayer groups that they can attend on a weekly basis, all run by employees of General Mills? Did you know that was going on? You can get involved in a social cause, serve on a board, start a new ministry, serve on the mission field. Maybe God is just calling you to a year of intense times of prayer and fasting. Maybe that's his call for you this year. What is he calling you to? What do you have a sense of urgency about? What has he prepared you for? And will you depend on God to shoulder the risk with you? And will you take action? Now, before we wrap up, I know I'm a little long here. Some of you have already gone to see the Angelina Jolie movie, Unbroken, right? About Louis Zamperini, son of Italian immigrants who moved when he was two years old to California from New York. And because he couldn't speak English very well, the bullies beat him up quite a bit. And he grew up learning to defend himself with his fists. But Louis had an incredible ability to run long distances really well. And he ended up being in the 1936 Olympics for the 5,000 meter race. And even though he finished eighth, even though he finished eighth, he had the fastest closing lap anybody had ever seen. And so Hitler decided he wanted to meet Louis personally and did so. After the Olympics, Louis came back and he's Uh, enrolled or he signed up for the armed forces when World War II broke out. He joined the Air Force and was stationed in Hawaii. On a search and rescue mission where his plane was out searching and looking for other people who had already been downed and they feared were dead, 
his plane experienced mechanical failure 850 miles south of Oahu. His plane went down. Eight people die, three live. Louis one of the three who live. And he and his two cohorts spend 47 days adrift in the Pacific with no water and no food. They subsist on rainwater and raw fish that they could catch out of the ocean. They finally wash ashore at the Marshall Islands only to find that the islands are occupied by the Japanese. And he spends the next two years imprisoned, being tortured and mistreated as a prisoner of war. After he got home in 1945, he marries Christina Applewhite. And they go to a Billy Graham crusade, and after a series of events there, at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles in 1949, Louis gives his life to Jesus Christ. Now this is the part that you don't hear in the Unbroken movie, because in the Unbroken movie it ends when Louis comes home from being a prisoner of war. But the reality is that his real demon, his best opportunity in his life, was not in the Olympics. And it was not, it was not in the prison camp. It was in meeting Jesus Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. Franklin Graham, who is Billy's son, writes this in an op-ed piece that was just published last week. When Louis returned home after meeting Christ and asking Christ into his life, he poured his liquor down the drain, dumped his girly magazines in the trash, and crumpled up his cigarettes and disposed of them. He found a Bible that had been issued by the Air Corps and began reading. For the first time, for the first time, God's word began to make sense to Louis. This former prisoner of war had discovered the joy of freedom found in Christ and desired to pass it on to others. So he opened the Victory Boys Camp to help troubled boys, many who were renewed and reformed, enabling them to live productive lives. The demons, the post-traumatic stress, all the stuff that Louis had to endure when he came back was resolved when he met Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. That's the real opportunity that Louis Zamperini had and that he took advantage of. There are some here today who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you know that within yourself there is this shame and this guilt and this torment that you just can't get away from, no matter how much money or sex or alcohol or thrills or shopping or whatever it is that you do, you pour into that hole, the hole will never be filled because it can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose again breaking the power of sin, and through his forgiveness, you can have that same power over sin. It no longer needs to hold on to you. You can leave here today and go back home to your responsibilities with a new life, a new heart, a new mind, a new nature, just by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today. Your torment can be over. If you've never trusted Christ, you have an opportunity, and that opportunity is right now. I'm going to lead us all in prayer. And when I'm done, I'll bring us all back together. 
But this is a prayer. Christians are now praying. This is a prayer of salvation. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want you to pray with me now. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. You can pray this to yourself in the quietness of your mind. You can pray this softly out loud. And I promise you, when we're done, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to sign anything, sing anything, say anything, or give anything. But if you would like to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, just pray with me. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I ask that Jesus would forgive my sins. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life right now. And from this day forward, I commit to living my life for you as best I can. In Jesus' name I pray. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, if this is the first time you've ever prayed that, I'm just going to ask that you quietly slip up your hand and bring it back down. Just between you and me, no one else. Anyone? Yes, thank you. Anyone else who wants to give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ? Now, some of you already know Jesus Christ, but you know you've been wandering, you've been drifting, and you want to recommit your life so that you can go after the opportunities in 2015. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, and turn away from it, I'm going to give you that chance right now. Is that a commitment that you want to make? If so, just quietly slip up your hand and bring it back down. Yes, hands all over. Yes. Jesus Christ, thank you. Jesus Christ, through the regenerating power, come back with me now. Jesus Christ, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, can transform you into somebody that you are not today. If you will let him. If you will let him.